Welcome to The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. This is the show to help you navigate the challenging moods we all experience as human beings and where you will learn the best strategies to feel the good moods and good vibes we all love to feel. Because when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. This is The Good Mood Show. Now, here's your host, Matt O'Neill. Welcome to The Good Mood Show. I'm your host, Matt O'Neill. Be sure that you hit subscribe so you can get a good mood every single week. And today we are talking with one of the greatest poets and authors of our time, Mark Nepo. Mark, welcome to The Good Mood Show. Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Man, Mark is the author of 22 books, and his books have sold over a million copies worldwide. He was named one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people. He's appeared several times with Oprah on her Super Soul Sunday program. And Mark is also one of my all-time favorite authors and a hero of mine. So this is a true honor to, uh, to have this conversation with you. And you're in for a treat today. Mark has got a, a free gift for you. He's offering one of his favorite poems from his upcoming book, The Half-Life of Angels. The poem is Praying I Will Find. And uh, as Mark describes, it's a poem about living beyond plans, which is one of my favorite topics. You can download that poem instantly if you sign up for the newsletter at goodmoodshow.com or just reach out on goodmoodshow.com on the contact page, and I'll be sure to get that, that poem to you. And stick around to the end of the show. One of the ways Mark really helps us as a teacher, and, and it's apparent through his work as well, is he asks you thoughtful questions. So as we're wrapping up today uh, on all the things that we've learned and the poetry that he shared, uh, Mark will have some questions for you to, so that you can take your learning to a deeper level. I got, I got the chance to meet Mark last year at a live event here in Charleston with the Sophia Institute. And it was a weekend that totally opened my heart. Uh, and it just started, I just started to feel all of life at a deeper level after being in his presence and hearing his, his words. And I've got great news for you. The Sophia Institute is, hoping, is hosting Mark Nepo again next month on May 5, 6, and 7, live here in Charleston and live online via Zoom. The tickets are extremely affordable and you can register for this upcoming event, spend time with me in, in person or on Zoom and with Mark at thesophiainstitute.org, thesophiainstitute.org. Mark, I'm so honored to have this conversation and I'm just in love with this upcoming book you have. It, you said, as I was reading more about it, you said this book is, uh, the poems in the book are to explore the spark of becoming. What, yeah. what does that mean to you? Well, you know, we so much, and this dovetails with what the weekend will be about in Charleston, about the gift of relationship. It's relationship that that arcs us. You know, in electricity, if you have two wires close enough, finally it'll arc and the current will go through. And that's what relationship is for all of us. There's a spark of aliveness in everything, everything, not just humans, everything in life. And it's through relationship that we arc 
to each other through our care, through our authenticity, through our truthfulness, through truly listening to each other. You know, in the um, in the indigenous traditions in the Polynesian countries um, islands, there's a the term mana, which we know. We know from the Christian tradition, and there's a long history to that word, but even before that, mana in the Polynesian uh, way of, of uh, thinking and being means numinous spirit. It's that spark, that glow, that emanation, that, that everything in life emanates some kind of spirit. And if we're present enough, and open-hearted enough, we receive it. We receive it, and we feel that kind of electricity or that spark. So yeah, so you know, the, this book of poems, as we were talking, is a. I'm grateful. It's a major collection of uh, work from the last 20 years. Um, uh, three books of poems in one volume, and they all are really kind of bearing witness to and exploring the mystery of that spark of life that's everywhere. You started out the weekend last year as I, I was going through my notes. I, t- I was taking so many notes and, and there were so many things and I'm excited to talk about them today that, that really were awakenings for me from your talk. But you started the weekend out. You said through history, we discover who we are, that we are one. And in our fear, we think self-interest will protect us and we suffer and then we come back to this I, idea of who we really are. And this, this whole, this, this is what I'm thinking as you're talking about this arc that connects us all. And I, I think specifically about this, the replacement of real relationship with social media relationship. And this idea that, hey, because I have so many likes and I have so many comments or that I'm watching other people's updates, that I actually have a relationship with them or with hundreds of people. It's like this pretend connection. And uh, and yet I think loneliness may be the highest it's ever been in the United States. You addressed that at the conference. You said, if you ever feel lonely, say hello. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that this is so important because we get so insulated in these bubbles and then the pandemic didn't help. It made us even more insulated and isolated. Um, You know, I learned this like during what came to me during my cancer journey many years ago. And this and what I would say is if you don't interview ambulance drivers, you take the first one that comes along. And so if you're lonely, you don't interview people. You don't make a list of preferences. You don't. You say hello. You. It might be awkward. It doesn't mean every every contact was going to uh, suddenly become your best friend. But this is. You know. You get out of the house now that we can again. And if instead of reading alone, go to a cafe. So you're with other life, other people, so that you are interacting. You know. One of the things. There were, I can't remember now, but there was a woman at MIT who uh, did a study about of something like 1,500 young students from like 8 to 18 and studied their use of cell phones and media. And one of the, what she found was that their ability to develop their sense of self 
was arrested because at a certain point we we try things on with each other we talk in real time and we misunderstand each other and we go wait a minute i didn't mean that oh well how can you see me that way and then we refine well i meant this and when we don't have that contact when we don't say hello when we don't have conversations that are real and awkward and evolved um we don't know how to we don't know how to be in conversation and and she found that all of these these young adolescents were stopped at that point because they didn't have real <clears throat> and you know this goes back to you know when i was a kid i'm 72 so when i was a kid in the 50s and 60s um you know before there were organized like little league teams and everything you know we bunch of kids meet in the schoolyard and we choose up sides and we play a game and we'd argue about who was safe and who was out but we were making all those decisions together and learning whereas once you have extremely over organized little league teams what happens there's no practice at any kind of decision making or conversation or uh or solving ambiguity you're even told what pitch to swing at or not and this robs us of the live rehearsal of living. Sure. We try it out. And, and as you're saying this, you know, to the person who's listening to this show, it's not just the children. Absolutely. I'm out of practice. I think the pandemic hyper extended it social media and this digital life that has come has made us all out of practice of solving these things because we get really good at things we practice so if i'm in actual relationship and actual communication with real live human beings and i'm making mistakes and then clearing up what i really mean i get pretty good at communicating and i yes and i also think that you know, in terms of restoring our direct experience of life, you know, there's all today because of our isolation, the the hesitation on what is real and what is not. And no, there there are th- there are facts. There are things that are real. If I put my hand in water, I don't need you to tell me that it's wet. And likewise, I don't need I know what pain is. I know what love is. I know what fear is. I know what respect is. Now, we can have conversations about what those things mean, but the basic fact of being a human being, a spirit and a body in time on earth is indisputable. And only by restoring that direct experience and being courageous, everyone has a quiet courage to meet, and that is to be truthful about our experience here, what it's like to be you, what it's like to be me, and then we can compare notes. One of my favorite poems that you've written, uh, and I, I've cited you because I've uh, used it for a portion of my book because it was just so beautiful, was about the tea master and the warrior, or the tea oh, master and yeah. the samurai. W- would you mind just sharing your version of, of that story? Because I just, I just love what it teaches me about myself. Well, so the, the tea master and the warrior, it actually 
takes it's an imagining of a relationship that was actually a historical relationship in the 1600s. Uh, there was a general Tycho who became uh, emperor, and he had a lifelong friend Rikiyu who became a tea master. Now, in the Japanese tradition, the tea ceremony is a very spiritual ceremony. It's just not having tea. It all represents. Uh, being humble, and you know, for instance, the tea hut is purposely small, and the entryway is narrow, so that you have you can't go in through it and have a lot of stuff. You have to put things down to enter, and in order to ensure humility, you actually can't enter it standing. You have to get on your knees to enter the tea hut. And so the story was, and it's, you know, a sad story uh, because what happens is Tycho, the people around him politically instill doubt in Tycho because they're afraid of Rikiyu's influence on him. And so they make him doubt his lifelong friend. And he he winds up having having him, well, he tells him that he's going to have to be executed and he commits suicide with all of his students around him. But the story, what I focus on in this, the, the poem, Tea Master and the Warrior, is that these represent two parts of us, the, the spiritual inner part and the part that makes it out in the world. And of course, they need to inform each other. But Ricky, uh, Tycho has lost track of his spirit. But he comes back every once in a while to have tea with Rikiyu. And of course, in order to do that, he has to leave his sword outside. He has to take off his big fancy robes and he has to come back in there. And every time they're in there, Rikiyu says to him, oh, my friend, when are you going to just stay here with me? This is real life. Where are you going? What are you doing out there? You're always welcome here. And, you know, and and Tycho feels it, but he doesn't have the courage to stay vulnerable. He, you know, since then, I I have a line which is in the new, the book of poems, that is to, to harden will help you get through life, but to soften will let you experience life. And the Tycho that's in each of us is hardening to get through life but if you don't experience and feel it, what's the point? And so Rikiyu is constantly inviting him to, no, come come here. The hut, the inner hut is always open to you. And he struggles because he, he doesn't trust. And he goes back out in, in the story that I tell and you know, straps his sword back on and hardens to go back into the world. Hey, if you love to stay in good moods as much as I do, be sure to hit the subscribe button on the Good Mood Show podcast. That way we can get you a good mood every single week. And look, if you know someone else that could use a good mood, share the show with them. Send them a text message. Let them know about the Good Mood Show and let's brighten up the world. As you said, to harden is to get through life and to soften is to experience life. The thought occurred to me, where where are we getting through? Do we we know what happens at the end of this thing? Well, this is one of the the great lessons I've learned in my life. The paradox, of course, we we go places, we do things in life, 
But they're all to bring us alive. They're not to get anywhere. And one of the great lessons for me has been, there's no there, there's only here. There's nowhere to go, really. You know, I, I, one of my great uh, privileges in life is I get to travel all over. Uh, now that we're out after the pandemic again, I get to travel all over to meet with folks like you. And when we get together, my job is to affirm that there's nowhere to go. And I'm happy to do it. Of course, we outwardly we go from we travel. But when we come together in these authentic spaces, we open the same eternal moment all the time and that's the beauty the depth the miracle you know if we open our heart it's enough you know, you know this was something that when i was uh young and and all artists and writers and painters you know everyone is taught uh to be on the look for good material oh this would be good to write about this or this would be good to paint or this would you know well almost dying in my 30s from cancer and still being here, not for any wisdom on my part, but I was blessed. I was scoured and given the lens of the miraculous. So I don't have to look for good things to write about. If I am present enough and open my heart, everything is a miracle. I can write about a fly on the wall because everything, if I open my heart, and that's my great um, offering to folks, people who are listening, is whenever we're struggling, whenever we're afraid, whenever we're in pain, those things, we can't get rid of them. They're human. We can right-size them. And one of the ways we right-size them is to open our heart and give our full attention to the nearest piece of life before us until it becomes our teacher, until it becomes our teacher. And that will help that, as we talked earlier, that will help release the spark of life. And then we, by being who we are, we are connected to everything we're not. We're part of the oneness. And that gives us light and strength and heart. In, in, in this moment is where we can connect with the oneness. Yes. And only in this moment. And... I, I love in this uh that that uh that story is written in um uh it's it's the the small book of stories you have I, I can't re- recall as far as the heart can see yeah, as far yeah. as the heart can see oh I love that book uh thank you thank you and at the end of each of these stories you had discussion questions or table questions as you call them and one of your discussion questions was uh the Team master and the warrior are two pieces of yourself. Yes. So can you see, can you feel yourself wanting to pick your sword back up and harden to get through? And then can you feel yourself inviting you back in your soul, inviting you back into this present moment to have tea and open your heart? Yes. Again? And who, who, cause we all have those parts to us. So, the, so who's running the show? Are you like Tycho vis- visiting the the miracle of life and uh but only briefly and then strap your sword back on not trusting where you go or are you being careful when necessary 
by basically living from the inside out. And that's, that's a key question for each of us. You know, if we make fear our God, then we become overly cautious, overly protective. We make pragmatism our God, and we just move through life. We don't really live it. Well, certainly, there are th- we have to be cautious and thoughtful. I mean, and, and so, so this raises, you know, every person who's ever lived, we have to both survive and thrive. There are twin skills. You survive the outer world so you can thrive in the inner world. Now, if all you do is survive without thriving, what's the point? But we can't just thrive and not pay attention to the world. You know, if you or I were having this conversation while walking down the street in Charleston and we didn't look, we could get hit by a truck. Uh, That's surviving. But there's a big distance between being careful and strapping on a sword every day to be ready to overly protect yourself. And so each of us, it's not to argue these things, it's to what, what is the healthy balance in each of us? How do we both survive and thrive? What's in your toolkit? Where do you really live? And so I think survival invites a set of skills to move through the world. Again, it's not a code to live by. So fear, Fear is meant to a move through, not to be obeyed. You know, if I'm afraid and I ask my fear, what should I do? My fear will say, oh, I thought you'd never ask. Be more afraid. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't ask my fear. I ask my spirit. I ask my heart. I ask my mind. I ask my dear friends. And then fear is to be moved through like a fever or a chill or a sudden stubbing of the toe. We have to not give it too much authority. We can't deny it because it'll only get bigger, but we can't give it too much authority because it will want to take over. Yeah, and you you had a, an incredible illustration for anger and fear that really was an, an opening for me. You were talking about the art of Aikido. Ah, oh, yes. Can you yes. Would you mind sharing that sure. demonstration? Yeah. So, so Kido or Kaido Kido, I'm not sure which way we say it. Maybe you can say it both ways, but it's one of the martial arts and it's traditionally the Japanese martial art, uh, for those who don't know, where you, instead of meeting physical energy with like, you know, when someone is coming at you, that you, you use the, you sidestep and let that energy by. And there's a whole art form to it. And I've never practiced a Kido. Um, personally, but in reading about it and learning about it, I stumbled onto this amazing metaphor about fear. And so one of the things that an Aikido master will teach is that, oh, that's my dog sleeping. Susan, it's okay. Um, uh, one of the things is that when someone's coming at you, let's say with a knife, physically so adrenaline rushes and there's fear understandably everything is fear oh my god what do i do and what the aikido master says is if you can outweigh the cloud of fear and now you see what is the where is the one point of danger it's only the point of the knife 
everywhere else is safe. Now you have real choices. Now, how someone does that physically, I have no idea how you outweigh the cloud of fear when someone, you know, when that's happening. But as a metaphor for how to deal with fear when it presents us in our lives, whether it's fear of a situation or of an illness or a pain or a loss or whatever it might be, this is very, very helpful. And another example that things that matter take time. Certainly, when fear says hello, it's everywhere. And now if we can hold on, and if we need help, then we call each other up and outweigh the cloud of fear and now look at, the, at it precisely where is the one point of danger. Now, everywhere else that you can move is safe. Now you have real choices, how to move forward. That's very helpful. It's been extremely helpful for me. And, you know, I, I own a real estate company in Charleston. And there's forces that are, are not in my control. The, the interest rates have risen, and that's not anything that I've done. And because of that, a homeowner who has a 2% or a 3% loan who may move if if interest rates were not over 7% would say, well, I think I'll just stick with what I got. Sure. And so then there's been these clouds of fear of, well, I still have the staff and the expenses and the, the, the you know, these bills to pay and yet the income and the revenue is not coming. And so then the whole situation, which is all life, starts to look like this cloud of fear. And, and, and I, that story has helped me so much to say, where is the point of the knife? And you had a question for us and it was, what specifically am I afraid of? And so now when I feel this energy of fear as this giant cloud come over me, I move to that question and I say, what specifically am I afraid of? Where is the point? Uh, what are, where is wonder. the point of the knife here? And, and then that it's kind of calming. It's like, well, I'm afraid that the income may not come back. Okay. Well, that's all, all of a sudden now I'm on a track. Well, then what? Well, and so one of the things that's wonderful, Matt. And one of the things is that for all of us is that it's very human that when we're in a situation, whatever it might be, difficult or joyous, that we project out ahead of us. That's human. But our challenge is not to stay there, is to come back to the moment. So we all have this, this yearning, this inner reflex to rehearse all possibilities. And yes, yeah, so, you know, I go to the doctor, I get a test result. We don't know what it means, but something's up. Now, it's very natural. We play it out. It could go this way. It could go this way. Or if it goes all the way this way, oh, my God, I could die or I could be incapacitated. So that's human. But all things are possible, but none are true yet. So in a way, we're doing there's something in us that does reconnaissance. We go out and scout out, oh, it could go A, B, C, D, E, it could go all these, but then not to stay there, not to empower it, but to come back to what we do know. But the truth is, 
Nobody knows what this means yet. So how do I proceed with my next step? Yeah. And then it's to me, absolutely exactly what you're saying is once I've got the specific identified of what I'm specifically afraid of. And in the example that I was giving specifically, we may have to move our house and our children would go to a new school. That's a specific, it gets down to that specific fear for me. And then I come back to this moment and say, well, what action could I take today? And, And then as soon as I take an action, I start to feel better. And not that there is an action, as your example you were saying is, uh, I got a test result back and there may be a diagnosis with it. And I'm not dead yet, but I would assume that the specific <laughs> fear would be, I, I, you know, if I really looked at it, I could die or I would lose my abilities and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to take care of myself. Yeah. And, then, and then if I came back to today and said, well, that hasn't happened yet, what specifically could I do today? There's a lot of things we could do on health. There are, there, we well, could start to look at our diet, right? We could, we could start to look at our hydration. We could go get more tests. There's a lot of different actions we could take. Well, and one of the things that's also here I don't, I don't want us to miss is that when we take that next specific step, not only does it help us in terms of whatever the issue is, but with each step, you see more. So by taking a step, and the whole picture changes each time you take a step because by virtue of it, you see more. And now you're, you're getting on the other side of the cloud of fear. Mm. I, I think of uh, walking through the darkness with a lantern. Yeah. And I can only see maybe 10 feet in front of me as far as the light will go. And if I take the next step, well, now I can see another two feet I couldn't see before. And if I take another step, another two feet, and then as you're saying, we can eventually just get out of this cloud. But that whole cloud of fear, if we don't get specific about what it is we're afraid of, creates inaction. Because we say, I'm so afraid I don't even know what to do, so I'll do nothing. Right. So that image you just shared of the lantern, let me let me go and, and that's in a, a history of such images. So let me which is very helpful. And so Maimonides in the 1100s was in the period from, there was like 750 years from like 750 to 14 something in Spain where it's known as the Iberian Peninsula where it was a Muslim empire where Christians, Jews, and Muslims, they didn't just tolerate each other. It was one of the big periods of enlightenment in the history of the world. They actually learned from each other, and it's a remarkable uh, period. So Maimonides was a famous rabbi, physician, mathematician, teacher who lived at the height of this time. And one of his famous images about learning in general is he says, each of us is, is like a person in a field where lightning strikes and then it goes dark. And then lightning strikes and then it goes dark. And what he was suggesting is that this is how we learn. The lightning comes and you can see everywhere. And then it goes dark. And now instead of you can fear and say, oh, what if I don't ever see again? And what he suggests is that's a waste of time because what you really, what we really need to do 
is what did we see while it was lighted and fill those pieces on our map. And the next time the light comes, we fill in more pieces and then it goes dark. And then the next time the light comes in. So this is the way he suggests that we learn by year, by year, by year in life because of our relationship with the unknown. We see, we map it, and we don't see. <laughs> and we see again. Oh, there's a few. Oh, I didn't realize there was a tree over there. Oh, yeah. and a river over there. Let's map that. And then we don't see for a brief time. And, oh, and then we see again. And of course, the things that bring the light are great love and great suffering. And we never know when they're going to show up. So we keep learning this way. Great love and great suffering. And this is one of the things, this, this idea that great suffering brings the light is one of my favorite uh, openings that I gained from you. And there was a haiku about a barn being burned that yes. has stuck with me since we met. Would you mind sharing that? Sure. So this was, this was uh, and again, it's interesting, different, different person but it, it picks up the sword image from Tycho. So there was a, a samurai uh, warrior by the name of Masahide in the 1600s. And after a long career, he put down his sword, walked away from that way of life and wanted to apprentice as a poet with the master poet Basho sought him out. I would have loved to interview that guy. Like <laughs> what happened? Right. Um, and his famous haiku is this, my barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. My barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. And what I love about that is that it's, it doesn't minimize the burning of the barn. That's a loss. We have to negotiate that. We have to face it. And... It also cleared up, cleared the path for a vastness that he didn't realize was there. Oh, now that it's out of the way, even though I built it and I, it was painful to lose. Oh my God, look at, I can see the moon now. I, I love it. I love, I love how simple it is. And I love that the lesson behind just a few words is so profound because you, you're, you know, you went on and you, there was a lot of talk of this about how there can be this deep suffering and that that can also open us. And you, you had led us to a, a line that was what opens us is not nearly as important as what was opened. Absolutely. And we can, we can get distracted even legitimately, you know, because some things that open as us are unjust and not fair. And that has its own journey uh, that nothing, nothing minimizes that. Uh, that's real. Yeah. What if his neighbor burned his barn to the ground? Right. 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 What, what if his neighbor lit fire to his barn and burned it to the ground? And that would create a lot of pain. And that has to be addressed but not to the point that he misses that the moon is now you can see it more completely. And the moon is just like, like awakening. It's this whole new, like I have a whole new perspective in life. I've been opened and there's this beauty that I see that I could never see 
before having this great suffering of an experience. Yeah. So when we when we suffer, the, it doesn't it doesn't um, romanticize the agents of suffering. They can be cruel. They can be harsh. Can be unfair. And we don't want to give them more power than uh, that. The, you know, they don't deserve that. But and we can be open to greater, deeper truths. Uh, and so, yes, whatever is opened in us, uh, what opens us is never as important as what is open in us. I think we're all going to be hurt. You know, we hurt each other. And I've certainly been hurt. I've been hurt in the last few months. And uh, just hearing your words has allowed me to say, okay, this hurts. I'm not going to minimize that, that this hurts. Uh, and there's, there, there's a silver lining here somewhere. There's, there's something to be learned. There's something to be open. There's, there's something that I, can, that I can take from this experience that I wouldn't want to give back once I, I figure it out. Well, yes, and another paradox is, you know, when the heart breaks, so a part of it is open and revealed that was never revealed before. And then our tears water what's showing itself in the break and helps it grow. And this is a paradox. We don't, right, we're not, we're not advocating suffering, but when we do hurt and our heart opens, if we feel it, Truthfully, the, the, the tears of our experience water what hasn't seen the light before, and we grow. And we're not going to get away from suffering. We're, no, we're here. We're, we're here. It is part of the whole experience. There's no, there's no escaping it. It's like, you, you know, I started this path of inner work and of uh, study and self-improvement to like figure out how I would make all the suffering stop. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's a very humbling, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter how much we've read or learned or whatever, no one is exempt. You know, I can, all the things we're talking about, I can get off of our talk and take the garbage to the curb and trip and break my leg. And, you know, no, nothing prevents. Don't do that. <laughs> no, I won't. But I'm just saying that, you know, we are not, wisdom is a resource, not a shortcut. Yeah. It helps us through the human journey of being a spirit in a body and time on earth. It's not a sure, it's not like, like you're saying like, well, you know, we all have had that moment where we say, gee, maybe if I learn enough, I can, I don't have to go through this. Right. Uh, no, no, it's all there to help us when we go through, you know, I, I had a deal, my oldest friend, um, Robert and when his um, godfather to his three kids who are now in their thirties, but when Eli, the youngest, was just learning to ride a two-wheeler, a bike, and uh, Robert and and his uh, and their mother um, had this, I'm sure you'll recognize this parental, not argument, but a different view as they started to get ready to have him get on the two-wheeler. And um, his mother said, you know, I, I want to run alongside because I don't want him to fall. And Robert said, well, he's going to fall. I want to be there to help him back up. And, of course, both are the 
the love of parents or not just friends, anyone, but we will fall. And we have to learn how to get back up. And wisdom helps us do that. And and actually, a kind of a last connection to this is when we fall, this is another example of the barn being burned down. I remember being a kid, like seven or eight in recess at grade school. And I got knocked down and I skinned my knee and, you know, I was crying and I was on the ground. But when I was on the ground, face on the ground, I had never been that close to the earth. And I actually stopped and hugged the earth. I thought, whoa, man, we're, I take this for granted, but this huge thing is holding us up. Wow. And if I'd never fallen, I'd never would have felt it or seen it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have just loved this conversation and I cannot wait to continue it. I am going to be hanging on every poetic word. Uh, please join us. Please join Mark Nepo with, uh, with me and the Sophia Institute. Um, he's, he's going to be live here in Charleston and live online on zoom at the exact same time, May five, six, and seven. Um, it's really uh, an incredible event, as you can tell by this conversation. You can register for the event at thesophiainstitute.org. And um, and also, you know, uh, go to goodmoodshow.com and sign up for the newsletter, and I will send you uh, the poem, Praying I Will Find, from Mark's newest book that's coming, The Half-Life of Angels. Mark, this has been just a, a joy. I, I do want to, I, I did say that we would wrap up with a question for the person sure. listening. So what what would you have the person who's listened to the show contemplate uh, as, as we wrap up? Well, I would invite um, each of uh, those who are listening to us that when your mind feels like it's all tangled when you're confused, when you can't figure something out, I would invite you to do this experiment. Give anywhere to anyone and, and see if that clears your mind. See what happens. Because I have found that um, often, by, quite by accident, that when I give, not only am I doing good in the world, but it's coming back to me and giving cleanses, clears out the, the confusion in my mind. So if the mind's confused, a confused mind can't really clear itself. We need to use other resources. So when in doubt, give. I, I have never heard that. And I'm excited to write that <laughs> insight down because I, I get a confused mind quite a bit. And, you know, and, and just, just to validate what you're saying, I always feel so lit up when I just pour it into somebody. I'm like, man, I'm having the best day ever. This happened to me yesterday. I said, man, I'm just having the best day. And then I, I'm like, man, why is today so great? And I said, oh, I spent three hours pouring into a small group of people and just really giving everything I had. And that lit me up. Yeah, beautiful. Mark, and, and how, how could people learn more about your work? How could they 
How can they continue sure, to study? Thank you. Uh, they can go to, to marknepo.com, which is my website, which has all of where I'm teaching and the books that are coming out. And then also live.marknepo.com is where you can register for the webinar. I do three webinars a year online, and folks can register for that and find out details there, too. And you have you have three books upcoming. Is that correct? Well, I have two. I have The Half-Life of Angels, which is coming out next month. And that's the, the major collection of poetry. And in the September, my next book of spiritual nonfiction is coming out uh, called Falling Down and Getting Up. I love the title. Oh, we, I could talk to you for hours, and I'm looking forward to continuing to do that in this upcoming event. But yeah, you talk about that concept of falling down and getting back up. And it also is such a helpful uh, imagery that you, you you take us through on that. Well, Mark, I've loved it. I've I've just loved you and your work, and uh, and I appreciate you being here today. Oh, thanks so much, Matt. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you in Charleston. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. For free resources, videos, and materials about getting into your best moods, head over to thegoodmoodshow.com. And remember, when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. See you next week. Same time, same place.